Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, January 31, 2023. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. Iowa Food Stamp Bill to be amended amid opposition. Story by Joshua Irvine, THmedia.com. Dateline Des Moines. The chair of the Iowa House of Representatives Health and Human Services Committee indicated Thursday that a bill imposing significant restrictions on food stamps and their recipients could be subject to considerable alteration when it goes before the full committee next month. Representative Ann Meyer, R. Fort Dodge, told the Telegraph Herald that she expected multiple sections of House File 3 to undergo revisions when it comes before the full Health and Human Services Committee. The bill would place an upper limit on the dollar value of assets belonging to the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program recipients and would bar beneficiaries from using SNAP to purchase candy and soda following an amendment promised by Meyer. Meyer said she agrees the targeted programs are important safety nets to help people out of poverty. The legislation is meant to ensure both that people in need continue to get SNAP and Medicaid benefits, but that those who aren't eligible can't access the program's funds, supporters say, according to Iowa Capital Dispatch. It's been met with opposition and criticism by several groups, including Dubuque Social Work Academics and the Principal Provider to Area Food Pantries. This is a large bill, and there are other divisions we will we'll have to make adjustments to, Meyer told the Telegraph Herald. We'll have to go through it line by line and make sure it makes sense. The bill, which was co-sponsored by 40 members of the House Republican Caucus, attracted national attention with a provision that would bar SNAP recipients from using the federal benefits to purchase meat, poultry, and white bread, among other goods, and that would, would restrict purchases to a handful of items approved under the WIC Women, Infant, and Children Supplemental Nutrition Program. It would also impose a household asset limit of $2,750 or $4,250 for households with a disability or someone age 60 or above require the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services to asset test households and require that Medicaid recipients work at least 20 hours per week to receive benefits, with some exceptions. Meyer told Iowa Public Radio on Tuesday that the strict limits on food purchases would be dropped and replaced with a provision barring purchases of candy and non zero-calorie soda. She emphasized Thursday that the bill was not intended to deprive Iowans of needed benefits. No one wants to remove any benefits from those who are eligible, those who need them, Meyer said. In a hearing before a subcommittee of the Health and Human Services Committee, groups including mental health advocates, domestic violence coalitions, and the State Beverage Association expressed opposition to the bill. So has River Bend Food Bank, which supplies Dubuque's area's food pantries. The asset limit would be one of the most restrictive in the nation and push more families to seek food pantry services, said River Bend CEO and President Nancy Renkis in a statement emailed to the TH. Households with more than one vehicle would be especially at risk of losing eligibility for SNAP benefits, which would disproportionately affect those who live in areas without rural support like rural Iowa, without public support like rural Iowa, Frankie said. Area food pantries have reported increasing demand over the past six months, driven in large part by inflation on food costs. At the Dubuque Food Pantry, the number of families served nearly doubled over the last six months of 2022. Michelle Betchen, Social work professor at Loris College 
said the proposal would further burden Iowa Department of Health and Human Services by requiring regular asset tests for the state's 273,085 SNAP recipients. Reached by the TH, an HHS spokesperson declined to comment, saying the department did not weigh in on pending legislation. It just doesn't seem evidence-based to me that all this money is being wasted on pop and candy, said Amanda Reynolds, an assistant professor of social work at Loris. One can argue it's unhealthy, but I don't think there's evidence to say welfare recipients are throwing away taxpayer dollars on pop. A 2016 report by the U.S. Department of Agriculture found that in SNAP households, 5% of food spending went toward sugary drinks compared to 4% for non-SNAP households. Iowa Representative Lindsey James, a Democrat from Dubuque, criticized the bill in her weekly newsletter. While the sponsor of the bill claimed it's about state budget, SNAP is 100% federally funded with a 50-50 cost share program for administration stated. The number of Iowans using SNAP benefits today is at a 14-year low. Other states and municipalities have moved to block purchases of soda and sweets with SNAP in the past, including Maine and New York City, though those proposals have been rejected by the USDA. Under federal law, to remove items from SNAP eligible foods, El SNAP's eligible food lists, states must apply for a waiver from the USDA. Several people said the proposed restrictions, particularly on food and the bill being considered by Iowa lawmakers, reflect a disdainful attitude towards recipients of public benefits. It's sending a strong message to the working poor and underemployed that we don't value you, Betchen said. Some co-sponsors of the bill indicated to TH that they would support amendments to the bill, particularly the looser restrictions on food purchases. Representative Brad Sherman, a Williamsburg Republican, wrote in an email that he signed on to the bill for its, quote, accountability measures to remove SNAP recipients who did not need it or would be working but won't. As we begin to get input, we realize there was wording in the bill that tied it to some of the WIC guidelines, which put unintended bans on certain foods, he wrote. Representative Steve Bradley, a Cascade Republican, serves on the Health and Human Services Committee and also co-sponsored the bill. He said he favored the restrictions on candy and soda, citing his background as a dentist. However, he expressed reservations about the provision of the asset limits that would affect rural households with multiple vehicles. He indicated he had not been aware of the impact of the asset limits or the initial food restrictions when he co-sponsored the bill. You like some of it, sometimes you don't like another part, Bradley said. We try to tweak it to make it palatable for the state of Iowa, for its constituents. Representative Shannon Lundgren, a Piosta Republican, declined to comment, saying she had not read the bill yet. She was not among the bill's co-sponsors. Representative Ann Osmondson, a Volga Republican, and Norlin Mobson, a Republican from DeWitt, both co-sponsors, did not respond to requests for comment. Galena Library to host Windchime Craft Night. Dateline Galena, Illinois. Galena Public Library will team up with Northwest Illinois Gender and Sexuality Alliance and Riverview Center to host an event at which participants can create homemade wind chimes. The free program will take place from 5 to 6 p.m. February 16th at the Library, 601 South Bench Street. Annual Chocolate Lovers Stroll Plan in Galena. A popular chocolate-themed event will take place in Galena, downtown Galena, next month. The annual Chocolate Lovers Stroll, hosted by Galena Downtown Business Association, will be held from noon 
to 4 p.m. February 11th, according to an online event announcement. Participants will check in at Galena Cellars, 111 North Main Street, between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. to receive a map and a punch card good for 10 treats of their choice. The cards can be redeemed at a variety of Main Street businesses, which will offer chocolate cookies, candies, drinks, and more. Tickets are $30 if ordered prior to the day of the event and $35 of the day, day of the event while supplies last. The event's website notes that tickets usually sell out at least a week in advance. To purchase tickets, visit bit.ly slash 3REQXUV online. Farley Middle School to host Mobile Food Pantry, Dateline Farley, Iowa. Drexler's Middle School's service learning class will hold a Mobile Food Pantry next month. The food distribution will be held from noon to 2.30 p.m., February 10th at the school, 405 3rd Avenue, Northeast in Farley. Items may be picked up along the street on the west side of the building. Cascade Council approves rezoning. Cascade, Iowa. Cascade City Council members recently held a public hearing to rezone a laundromat building at 1724 1st Avenue East. Council members approved the rezoning from M2 Heavy Industrial to C1 Highway Commercial, so the zoning designation would match the use of laundromat, which already qualifies as a C1 business, and allow new businesses to move into empty parts of the building. Platteville Inclusive Playground receives $10,000 donation from local medical providers. Story by Elizabeth Kelsey, THmedia.com. Platteville, Wisconsin. The Platteville Inclusive Playground Project recently received more than $10,000 in donations from local medical providers. Project leaders announced in a press release a $10,000 contribution from Medical Associates and Mercy One and a $1,000 contribution from Medical Associates Platteville Cuba City Family Care Network. The Family Care Network is a joint venture between Medical Associates Clinic and Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center and includes seven rural medical offices, of which the Medical Associates Clinic in Platteville is one. Work began in August 2022 on the playground in Smith Park. The space will provide a safe, accessible play area for the Platteville community, regardless of ability level, and is scheduled to be completed this spring. Applications open for Southwest Tech Board Openings. Dateline Fenimore, Wisconsin. Applications are open for three seats on the Southwest Wisconsin Technical College Boards of Directors. The Fenimore College seeks one elected official and two members of the public to fill the three-year board seats. Candidates are elected by school board presidents of the 30 K-12 districts in the Southwest Tech District. The seats up for election currently are held by David Bloom, Chris Prange, and Kristen Walla. Pursuant to Wisconsin statute, the board must have one member who is an elected official. A role Blum, Bloom is currently filling as a member of the Dodgeville School Board and former Iowa County Supervisor. Major road projects planned in Dubuque area in 2023. Story by John Cruz, THmedia.com. The continued reconstruction of a busy Dubuque road, a new roundabout, and a bridge replacement are among the local road projects planned for 2023. Those projects and others aim to replace old infrastructure, improve safety, and address expected traffic increases, though many of them will also end up causing traffic disruptions this year. The Telegraph Herald spoke with state and local officials about road projects planned for the year 
and how they might impact motorists. Iowa, two road projects in the city of Dubuque are expected to create prolonged traffic complications this year. According to city engineer Gus Saihoyos, the city plans to complete the second phase of its $9.2 million reconstruction of the Northwest Arterial. Last year, the city repaved this road southbound lanes, added four foot wide asphalt shoulders, and reconstructed the intersections at Pennsylvania Avenue and Asbury Road. Starting in April, the city will begin work on reconstructing the northbound lanes, which involves removing the existing pavement, existing, excavating for a new stone base, and installing pavement subdrains, stone base, and asphalt pavement. During construction, the city will convert southbound lanes. To accommodate two-way traffic, said Assistant City Engineer Bob Scheisel. The project is expected to be completed in late August. The second major project in Duke involves the construction of a roundabout at the intersection of Cooper Boulevard and Cooper Court. City officials announced a $1.5 million project late last year in anticipation of the increased traffic expected when a quick trip convenience store is built near the intersection. Sahoyos said the roundabout project still is in early in the planning process and could be subject to delays, but he hopes to begin construction soon after July 4th. If everything goes smoothly, then we could ideally start right after that, he said. We don't want to have construction before the 4th of July when thousands descend on the area for the annual fireworks and air show. Sahoyos said the aim is to have the roundabout completed in about 60 days. Traffic along Kerper Boulevard will be interrupted during construction, but he said the city staff are working on a solution to reduce the impact of people working and living in the city's north end. Iowa Department of Transportation officials also have two major projects planned in Dubuque County this year. In April, the DOT will work on a $1.9 million project to replace the bridge on South Grandview Avenue that passes over US 61-151. DOT resident and construction engineer Hugh Hollock said the bridge has reached the end of its lifespan. You can easily see that the bridge is getting old, he said. The project is anticipated to last until November. Traffic on the highway will be limited one lane in each direction, and traffic will be detoured entirely on some nights to allow for bridge demolition. Starting in the summer, work will begin on a $6.5 million project to resurface a portion of Iowa 3 that runs from the intersection of Five Point Roads to the Westernmost intersection of Filer Road. The work represents the latest piece of a project to reconstruct much of Iowa 3 in Dubuque County. While under construction, the highway will be closed. Traffic will be rerouted to the new route of US 52. In Illinois, Joe Davis County engineer Stephen Kiefer said several resurfacing projects are planned in the county this year. Most notably, the county will resurface Menominee Road from its intersection with US 20 to the Wisconsin border. The county also plans to resurface North Canyon Park Road from its intersection with US-20 to where the road meets Apple River Canyon State Park. Kiefer said these projects likely will occur in the summer, with plans to have them completed before the beginning of the school year. County officials still are assessing the anticipated cost of the projects and their traffic impact. Work also will resume this year on a $31 million improvement project on US-20 Illinois 84 through Galena. The project is scheduled for completion by fall 2024. In Wisconsin, starting in March, the Wisconsin Department of Transportation will begin construction of a $7 million to $8 million roundabout at the intersection of Wisconsin 80 and Wisconsin 81 between Platteville and Cuba City. 
DOT Project Manager Derek Potter said the work will require traffic on both highways to be detoured up until the project's anticipated completion in October. The roundabout aims to reduce the number of crashes at the intersection. Grant County Highway Commissioner John Knotts said the county also plans to resurface Grant County H from Kyler to Cuba City. Knotts said the road will remain open to traffic while the project is underway throughout the summer. East Dubuque man sentenced to five years in prison used knife in domestic assault. Story by Kaylee Reese, THmedia.com. Man was sentenced Monday to five years in prison, partly in relation to an incident in, in which his girlfriend reported being stabbed in Dubuque. Nicholas M. Ostrander, 33, of East Dubuque, Illinois, was given the sentence Monday in Iowa District Court of Dubuque County after pleading guilty to a charge of domestic assault while displaying a dangerous weapon as well as a, an unrelated probation violation. Ostrander does have two prior domestic assault convictions, said Assistant Dubuque County Attorney Jonathan Dunn when requesting the sentencing. It appears that the state has used quite a few resources in an attempt to rehabilitate Mr. Ostrander, and unfortunately it seems he continues to be violent and hurt other people. As part of a plea deal, charges first-degree harassment and contempt, violation of no contract protection order, which were related to the assault, were dismissed. Court documents state that Dubuque police responded to the 1900 block of Central Avenue on September 1 after receiving a report of an injured woman, quote, who jumped out of a car because a guy threatened to kill her, end quote. Police met with Deborah A. Van Ostrand, 52, of East Dubuque, who had a laceration on her upper arm that nearly reached the top of her shoulder. Documents state Van Ostrand reported that she had been stabbed by Ostrander, who is now Van Ostrand's fiancé, during an argument while inside a vehicle, documents state. Van Ostrand stated that Ostrander put his right arm in front of her in a hugging motion. Documents state she stated that with his left arm, he reached around the rear of the seat and cut her left upper left arm. Van Ostrand then began driving to the hospital, documents states. She reported that Ostrander began, quote, freaking out and begged her not to seek medical treatment, documents state. Van Ostrand stated that she told Ostrander that she wouldn't tell anyone it was him that stabbed her and that she just wanted to never have him to never contact her again. She stated that he replied that he would just have to murder her and then kill himself. Van Ostrand spoke at Monday's sentencing hearing, asking for Ostrander to be sentenced to the State Correctional Facility at 1494 Elm Street. I do believe it was an accident, Van Ostrand said of the incident. I don't think he was trying to hurt me at the moment. We were in an argument at the time. Sometimes we hug each other to end an argument, and I think he was trying to hug me. He didn't realize he had the knife in his hand. Ostrander also asked to serve a sentence at the Elm Street facility. He also spoke extensively about his struggles with mental health and substance abuse. I have been put on medications that have made a night and day difference in my life, he said. For the first time I can remember, I'm not depressed and angry and frustrated. However, Iowa District Judge Monica Zrini Ackley said she felt a prison sentence was appropriate based on Ostrander's criminal history. Despite multiple commitments in the state correctional facility to help up with her mental health, he seemed to do well and then go back out into the community and then go back to prior conduct, she said. Authorities seek info on hit-and-run crash in Grant County, Bloomington, Wisconsin. Authorities seek information about a vehicle involved in a hit-and-run crash in Grant County. The Grant County Sheriff's Department responded at approximately 3.35 p.m. Friday to Wisconsin 35 at Brewer Road in Bloomington Township for a report of a hit-and-run crash. 
A report states that Aiden Gage, 17, of Bloomington, was driving south on Wisconsin 35 behind an SUV when the SUV lost control on an ice-covered roadway and crossed into the northbound lane. The SUV then swerved back into the northbound lane and struck the driver's door of Gage's vehicle, causing the vehicle to enter the ditch. Neither Gage nor his two passengers were injured. Authorities, one injured in a semi-crash that blocked Grant County Highway. Dillon, Cuba City, Wisconsin. Authorities said one person suffered minor injuries from a semi-tractor jackknife Friday in Grant County. John Mebus, 72, of Rockford, Illinois, was operating a semi on Wisconsin 80 near Center Road at approximately 3.25 p.m. when he lost control on a slick roadway, according to the Grant County Sheriff's Department. A report states that the tractor jackknife into the side of the trailer and slid down an embankment, blocking all lanes of the highway. Mebus suffered minor injuries. Sheriff Nate Dreckman wrote in an email to the Telegraph Herald that the roadway is blocked for about an hour and a half. One hurt in a two-vehicle crash near Dubuque. Authorities said one person was injured in a two-vehicle crash Saturday near Dubuque. Jason K. Data, 48 of Dubuque, was transported by ambulance to Mercy One Medical Center for treatment of his injuries, according to the Dubuque County Sheriff's Department. Authorities say Dubuque County man seriously hurt in snowmobile crash. Dateline, Epworth, Iowa. Authorities said a Dubuque County man was seriously injured in a snowmobile crash. Kevin D. Rahi, 43, of Farley, was transported by ambulance to Mercy One Medical Center for treatment of serious injuries, according to the Dubuque County Sheriff's Department. In a report made public Monday, authorities said Rahi was driving a snowmobile east in a field along Old Highway Road near Epworth at about 11.40 p.m. when he collided with the barbed wire fence. Authorities are investigating the crash. The Dubuque Police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Department reported Darwin A. Diaz, 22 of 653 Chestnut Street, number 1, was arrested at 11.15 p.m. Sunday in the 2200 block of John F. Kennedy Road on charges of second-degree burglary and third-degree criminal mischief. Authorities say Dubuque man faces third OWI charge following a Grant County crash. He's a Green, Wisconsin. Authorities said a Dubuque resident was arrested on a charge of third offense operating while intoxicated on crash in Grant County. Joshua J. Buffelli, 46, was arrested at 1.50 a.m. Saturday while walking along U.S. 151 in the area of Maryville Heights and North View Drive, according to the Grant County Sheriff's Department. A press release states that Buffelli's vehicle had slid off the highway into the median in the township of Jamestown. Authorities, one hurt in rollover crash near Platteville. Platteville, Wisconsin. Authorities said one person was hurt in a one-vehicle rollover crash Friday near Platteville. Lauren Jones, 20, of Fennimore, was transported by ambulance to Southwest Health for treatment of minor injuries, according to the Grant County Sheriff's Department. A report states that Jones was traveling east on Wisconsin 81 near Airport Road at about 8.40 a.m. when she lost control of her vehicle on the slick roadway. Vehicle brushed the guardrail, crossed into oncoming lanes of traffic, and entered a ditch. City of Dubuque recognized for workplace policies. City of Dubuque recently received recognition for its organizational structure and workplace policies. Dubuque received a Gallagher's Best in Class Award, according to a press release. The release states that the awards recognize employers that excel in supporting their employees' physical, emotional, career, and financial well-being for better organizational outcomes. The City of Dubuque scored in the top 12.5% of more than 4,000 
large and mid-side employers who participate in Gallagher's 2022 Benefit Strategy and Benchmarking Survey. Fundraising event to benefit Benton Community Center Project. Dateline Benton, Wisconsin. A fundraising event will be held this weekend for Benton's Community Center Project. Benton Community Development Corporation's 13th Annual Groundhog's Day Auction will be held Saturday, February 4th at Banfield Swiss House, 273 North Hollow Road, Kibbe City, according to an online announcement. Happy hour starts at 5 p.m., followed by a live auction at 6 o'clock. BizBuzz, new barbershop opens in Dubuque. Fitness Studio has new owner. Dubuque audio engineer marks one year in community. Story by Kaylee Reese at THmedia.com. BizBuzz shares business tidbits from across the tri-state area. This edition highlights developments in Dubuque. Longtime barber has opened a new barbershop in downtown Dubuque. Derek Clark, who has been cutting hair for 22 years, runs Tight Fade Barbershop, 1398 White Street near the Dubuque Food Pantry. The barbershop opened in September. The community has been showing off a lot of love. Clark said they've been reaching out, saying that they're grateful to have an actual barbershop in town and don't have to travel as far. I've got some people that were going to Chicago for haircuts. Clark City began looking for work as a barber three years ago when he moved to Dubuque. When I came out here, the first thing I noticed that there weren't any black barbershops established in the area, he said. It was hard to find work, so I cut hair in my apartment for three years. There was a lot of clientele coming in and out of my apartment. Once he heard about the White Street location, Clark decided to open the barbershop. He described the business as a multicultural barbershop, said he specializes in all types of hair. Two other barbers also work at the business along with Clark. Clark also stressed the shop is family friendly. Clark said he also worked on giving back to the community, giving out 100 meals at Thanksgiving. He said he loved getting to hear stories from clients. My favorite part about the business is giving people the confidence to do what they need to do, like an interview or a graduation or a party. Sometimes people need a little extra confidence, and I enjoy doing that. It's almost like giving them a part of their outfit. Tight Fade Barbershop is open daily from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., both for, for appointments and walk-ins. The business can be reached at 678-748-9763. New owner takes over at Dubuque Fitness Studio. The Dubuque location of Fitness Studio has a new owner. Aunt Gile became the owner of Jazzercise, 2095 Kerper Boulevard on January 1. She took over the ownership from Natalie Nyman and Shelley Rayfeld, who will remain Jazzercise instructors. I've loved my whole path so far, Giles said. I love being a member, I love being an instructor, and now I'm going to love being an owner. She said Jazzercise has been in Dubuque for 30 years with a series of locations and owners. She had been a member for several years before becoming a certified instructor in October 2020. Giles still teaches three or four classes a week. Jazzercise classes draw a wide variety of people, Giles said, including both men and women and people of varying ages. Most come here by themselves, and then they make friends here, she said. I think that's what sets us apart. It's a real community here. I teach at different times, and every time I'm done, I think, this is my favorite group of people. I think that after every class. Looking ahead, Giles said she hopes to reach out to businesses and other organizations in the community to show them what jazzercise can offer. Working out can be fun, she said. It doesn't have to involve a treadmill. You can dance and have fun doing it. Dubuque's jazzercise location has classes daily, and a, jazz, and a class schedule can be found at jazzercise.com. 
www.thestudio.com. The studio can be reached at 563-542-3602 or via email at jazzcenter at yahoo.com. Audio engineers offer a chance to be creative. A Dubuque audio engineer has been giving people a chance to get creative via his business over the past year. Deshaun Brown is the owner of Glasshouse Recording Studio, 1533 Central Avenue, the previous site of Central All-Purpose Apparels. At the end of this month, the Glasshouse will mark its one-year anniversary at the brick-and-mortar location where individuals can record music, podcasts, voiceovers, and more. Realistically, tons of people come and don't know where to start and don't know how to go about doing it, Brown said of making recordings. Taking their visions and making it come true that's a reward like nothing else. Brown's interest in audio engineering was sparked as a college student in Chicago where he originally majored in business management. I literally was walking past the creative arts room and they were messing with the mixer and everything, Brown said. Right then and there, I knew I wanted to change my major. After graduating in 2014, Brown moved to Dubuque in 2016 and began recording his own music in his basement. After he garnered more clients through word of mouth, he decided to open the studio space. Brown said the past year business has gone well, listening to the opportunity last summer to work with youth from the Multicultural Family Center on recording music as a highlight. He also said he loves being able to help people work through their ideas before turning them into a recording. His business recently was highlighted on Dubuque Main Street's Facebook page. I like. I feel like the people like the glass house is opening up an avenue for people to be creative so they don't have to travel two or three hours away to go to the studio. If you want a podcast, I've got a room for you. It's been a great journey. More information on the glass house can be found on Facebook. This business can also be contacted via email at fearnonelc.gmail.com. You are listening to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, January 31, 2023 on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's turn to today's obituary. Michael Klein, Dateline for Wisconsin. It is with great sadness that the Klein family announces the death of Michael Klein. Mike's difficult fight against brain cancer ended peacefully. He died on January 23, 2023, surrounded by family. Mike was survived by his wife, Kathleen Walsh Klein, son Elliot Eli Klein, his parents, Robert and Dorothy Heitzman Klein, and brother Thomas Klein. Mike built a 20-year career at Epic and Quality Management. He devoted his time outside of work to his many passions, including playing cello, biking, woodworking, and traveling. After marrying Kathleen, in 2008, they offered tra- often traveled internationally to faraway places, including New Zealand, Tanzania, Costa Rica, and with a young Eli in tow, they made it to Belize on two occasions. In warmer weather, Mike could be found biking with the, quote, guys a couple of nights a week, and with Kathleen and Eli on the weekends. He began more serious forays into woodworking about 10 years ago, when he started building furniture and musical instruments. Much of that time, he voted it devoted his craft to luthery, specifically crafting violins. Mike's music career started when he was six years old, driving. His dad driving him to Iowa City on Saturdays for lessons. He continued playing until he was no longer able to because of the progression of his cancer. It was the thing he missed most during treatment. 
He played with various groups, including the Dubuque Symphony Orchestra and Youth Ensembles, Lloyd Janesville Symphony Orchestra, Middleton Community Orchestra, the Driftless Trio, and the Stargazer Trio. He attended several music workshops with his Driftless Trio partners, where they spent many summer days and nights rehearsing for long hours and enjoying fellow musicians' company. Mike's lasting legacy will be the relationships he had with friends and family. A kind and generous person, Mike was always willing to help and had a sense of humor. He will continue to be loved and greatly missed by his many family members, friends, co-workers, and fellow musicians. Donations in Mike's memory to the, can be made to the Dubuque Symphony Endowment to share the gift of orchestral music with future generations. Visitation will be held at St. Anthony's Church, 1870 Ambrose Street in Dubuque, at 10.30 a.m. Saturday, February 11th, with services to follow at 11 a.m. Richard A. Crockett. Deadline Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Richard Allen Crockett, 71 of Cedar Rapids, formerly of Dubuque, passed away Friday, 27 January 2023, at Mercy Hospital, Cedar Rapids, surrounded by his loving family. Rick was born on 14 May 1951 in Alexandria, Minnesota, the son of Melvin and Arlene Nelson Crockett. Rick had very fond memories of his childhood exploring and seeking adventures with his brothers and sisters in Douglas County, Minnesota. He attended Zion Lutheran through 8th grade in Alexandria Jefferson High School. Rick met his wife of 50 years, Irene Swanson Crockett, in Alexandria, and they began their life together. Rick graduated technical college with degrees in commercial art and photography. He served four years in the U.S. Air Force before he moved to Iowa to begin his lifelong profession as a commercial photographer. Rick always had a love of the outdoors. He was an avid hunter, hiker, nature photographer, soccer coach, disc golf, kayaking, and motorcycle enthusiast. He loved to spend time with his family and dear friends. Rick is greatly missed by his wife, Irene Crockett, his children, Mindy, William Lickrand, and Justin Manuela Crockett, his sisters, Judy, Larry Albrecht, Sue, Steve Pearl, his brother, Randy Paulette Crockett, his grandchildren and granddaughter and many nieces and nephews. He was preceded in death by his parents, his brother, his sister-in-law, and his sister-in-law, Fern Swenson. Fern Ehrlich, Vince Ehrlich. Vince Ehrlich, 71 of Dubuque, died on Monday, January 30th. 2023. Visitation will be held from 3 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 2 at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home Crematory, 3860 Asbury Road. A massive Christian burial will take place at 1030 a.m. Friday, February 3rd at Holy Ghost Catholic Church. Burial will be in the Mount Olivet Cemetery. Wayne E. O'Brien, Eastman, Wisconsin. Wayne E. O'Brien, 82, of rural Eastman, died on Saturday, January 28, 2023. A rosary service will be held at 3.30 p.m., followed by a celebration of life from 4 to 7 p.m. on Saturday, February 4th, at Thornburg Growl Funeral Home in Prairie du Chien. Interment will be held at a later date in National Cemetery in Eastman. Michael Figueroa, Dateline, Galena, Illinois. Michael Figueroa, 79, of Galena, died Friday. January 27th, 2023. Service will be held at 11 a.m. Friday, February 3rd at Furlong Funeral Chapel in Galena. Arrangements are pending. Funeral services. Joris Binder, Footville, Wisconsin. Service is 10.30 a.m. today. Cincinnati, Wisconsin, Mound. Jim Clemenson, Dubuque. Service 1 p.m. Sunday, March 19th. Dubuque Shooting Society. Sandra D. Colson. Cuba City, Wisconsin, visitation 9.30 to 11 a.m. Saturday, February 4th, Houghton Shield Funeral Home and Cremation Services, Cuba City. 
Service 11 a.m. Saturday at the funeral home. Laura L. Joyce, Bloomington, Wisconsin. Visitation 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, February 3rd at 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Saturday, February 4th, St. Mary's Catholic Church, Bloomington. Mass of Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Saturday at the church. James J. Lehman, Dubuque, Mass of Christian Burial, 11.30 a.m. today. Holy Ghost Church, James Scoville, Dubuque. Celebration of Life, 1 to 4 p.m. Sunday, March 5th. Calmus Restaurants, St. Donatus, Iowa. Thomas L. Tillmany, Dubuque. Visitation, 9.30 to 10.45 a.m. Wednesday, February 1. Church of the Nativity, service 11 a.m. Wednesday at the church. Donald E. Toma, St. Donatus, Iowa. Visitation, 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. today. St. Donatus Catholic Church. Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. today at the church. Grace A. Klaus. Cascade, Iowa. Grace A. Klaus, 91 of Cascade, Dice Sunday, January 29, 2023. Visitation will be held from 9 to 11.15 a.m. Thursday, February 2nd at St. Martin's Catholic Church in Cascade, where services will follow at 10.30 a.m. Burial will take place in Calvary Cemetery in Cascade. Rye Funeral Home of Cascade is assisting the family. Dubuque sex offender pleads guilty to charge wife sentenced for child, dis- child endangerment. A Dubuque sex offender recently pleaded guilty and is now wife was sentenced in relation to letting the man live with her child despite prohibitions against doing so. Toby J. Hines, 38, entered the plea in Iowa District Court of Butte County to a charge of sex offender registration, violation second or subsequent effect. Offense. If a plea deal is accepted, an additional charge of sex offender registration violation as well as a related child endangerment charge would be dismissed. Hines sentencing hearing is set for March 6. Christina A. Roberts, 36, recently was sentenced to two years of probation by Associate Judge Robert Richter after pleading guilty to a charge of child endangerment. Court documents state that Hines reported to authorities on August 23rd that he was living with Roberts and Roberts, then five-year-old, was living with her grandmother. The child's grandmother told authorities that the child was not living with them. Documents state, and Roberts eventually admitted that the child was living with her and Hines. Roberts knew Hines as a registered sex offender. Hines told authorities he would move and reported doing so in September. But an Iowa Department of Human Services investigator received a tip later in the month. Hines still lived with Roberts and the child. Interviewed at school, the child reported living with Roberts and Hines and that the two had gotten married. Hines, at 19, was convicted in Dubuque County in 2004 of assault with intent to commit sexual abuse of a girl aged 14 to 17 years old. Trial date set for man accused of attempted murder for shooting another with a crossbow in Galena. Deadline, Galena, Illinois. The trial date has been set for a man accused of shooting another man with a crossbow in Galena. Ronald A. Smith, 36, is charged in Joe Davis County Circuit Court with two counts of attempted murder and two counts of attempted aggravated battery. His trial date has been set for June 26. Charges stem from the crossbow shooting of Michael Rolich of Galena. The Joe Davis County Sheriff's Department reported that Rolich was taken by ambulance to Midwest Medical Center in Galena and eventually to a high-level care facility where surgery was performed to remove the projectile. A previous press release states that Smith lived in Galena until April when a domestic violence incident occurred between him and his estranged wife. Smith was then believed to be in Colorado. On June 22nd, Smith's wife and her friend 
Rolich were sitting on the deck of her residence when Smith appeared around the corner of the house, armed with a crossbow, the Willis states. As Rolich and the female subject attempted to flee, Smith allegedly shot Rolich in the back with a crossbow, causing the arrow to become lodged in Rolich's torso, the Willis states. Documents state that the tip of the arrow was lodged internally near Rolich's right lung. Smith said fled the scene, but his wife identified him as a shooter. Local law enforcement officials used two canine units to shoot her of Smith, and a crossbow and duffel bag were found under in the woods. Smith's father then drove Smith to the Sheriff's Department on June 23rd, and Smith was arrested. Documents state that Smith's father reported that his son confessed to the shooting. Authorities seek debut convict who failed to return to a correctional facility. Authorities seek a convict in Duke County who failed to return to a correctional facility while on work release. Alexander J. Carmen, 19, was convicted of intimidation with a dangerous weapon and other charges in Dubuque County, according to press release. The release states that Carmen failed to report to the Waterloo, Iowa Residential Correctional Facility as required Friday. Carmen is described as 5'6", white male, weighing 138 pounds. He was admitted to the work relief facility on October 20th. Court documents state that Carmen, then 17, was one of three teens arrested following a shooting on March 1, 2021, in Dubuque. People with information about Carmen are encouraged to contact their local police. Local lawmakers in support as bail amendment heads to Wisconsin voters. Story by Grace Nyland. Madison, Wisconsin. Wisconsin residents soon will vote on rules around cash bail after post-constitutional amendment made its way through the state houses with this week with broad support from local lawmakers. If voters approve the changes on April 4th ballot, the set of factors that Wisconsin judges consider when setting bail for people accused of violent crimes would be broadened, allowing judge to look at the, quote, totality of circumstances, including defendants' prior con convictions. Currently, cash bail only can be imposed in Wisconsin if there is a reasonable ba basis to believe it is necessary to assure the appearance of the accused in court. The way the law reads right now, judges, when they're setting bail, can't go back and reveal criminal records, said Wisconsin Representative Todd Novak R. Dodgeville, who sponsored the bill. What this does, let them go back further and consider more than they currently can to set bail. For a constitutional amendment to take effect in Wisconsin, it must pass the legislature in two consecutive sessions in the same four and, and form and then go on the ballot for public approval. Lawmakers first approved the bail amendment last February and again this last this week. Lawmakers' efforts were motivated in part by the Waukesha Christmas Parade tragedy in 2021 when a man out on $1,000 cash bail killed six people and injured dozens of others when he drove his SUV into a crowd. The bill has passed more or less along party lines in state senate on Tuesdays and on, and the assembly approved the measure 74-23 on Thursday with support of several Democrats. Those in favor of the move argue it will keep those accused of dangerous crimes from reoffending between their arrest and trial, and those wor against worry it will have a disproportionate effect impact on low-income people. American Civil Liberties Union of Wisconsin lobbies against potential changes, writing a letter to the legislature that, quote, Wisconsin's reliance on cash bail has perpetrated a two-tiered system of judges based justice based on income. Public Defender's Office in Lancaster referred questions to the State Public Defender's Office. Legislative liaison Adam Plotkin, who also raises concerns about a potential increase in the use of cash bail. If two people tried with the same crime and one person has the means to obtain pretrial liberty and one doesn't, why does it make less risky to release the defendant with more money, Plotkin said. He instead pushed for a preventive 
detention system in which defendants are assessed and those deemed of sufficient risk are detained regardless of income, while those deemed not, deemed not of sufficient risk are released on their own recognition until trial. Wisconsin Representative Travis Trannell, Cuba City Republican, voted in favor of the amendment. He said he does not believe social economic status would play a role in the potential enactment since judges can consider defendants' income levels when determining bail. The purpose is to protect the public and to make sure someone returns to court, Trannell said. If someone with substantial means is accused of a crime, Judge could set no bail and not allow release or set an equally high bail that would dissuade them from leaving. The amendment also received support from Wisconsin Senator Howard Markline, a Spring Green Republican, who said the amendment would give judges the tools they need to keep dangerous criminals off the street. Another concern raised by Plotkin in the state ACLU was a potential increase in the number of inmates detained ahead of trial, which could put a strain on defendants' mental and physical health and on local law enforcement resources. In testimony presented earlier this month at a joint hearing of the Senate Committee on Judiciary and Public Safety and the Assembly Committee on Judiciary, Plotkin highlighted research that states longer time spent in jail pretrial increases the likelihood of criminal activity. Grant County Sheriff Nate Dreckman expressed little concern about the potential changes, however, saying that it seemed to make, quote, logical sense to allow judges to consider prior conventions, convictions when setting bail. Law enforcement's role is to protect the public. If the judge determined that based on the stuff they've been presented, that this person is deemed a threat, then I have no problem holding on to them in custody, he said. Changes will appear as two separate ballot questions in April, one that will allow judges to, quote, impose on an accused person being released before conviction condi conditions that are designed to protect the community from serious harm, end quote, and another will allow judges to impose cash bail based on, quote, the totality of circumstances, end quote. If voters approve the measure in April, it will be an early win for the Republican-controlled legislature as constitutional amendments cannot be vetoed by Democratic Governor Tony Evers. In politics, Iowa private school funding law gains national response. Story by Benjamin Fisher, THmedia.com. Not long after Iowa Governor, Republican Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed the law allowing state funding to follow students in private schools. U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, R. Iowa, celebrated the accomplishment. Quote, every student deserves access to education as right for them, and parents should be empowered to make that decision on behalf of the child. Regardless of income or zip code, the student's first act helps accomplish that goal, Hinson said in a release. Governor Reynolds continues to be a champion for Iowa students and understands the importance of parents being in charge of their children's education. She was far from alone in weighing in on the new law, which garnered national attention. Former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley, also a heavily rumored likely president, Republican presidential candidate in 2024, applauded the law. Reynolds campaigned to put families in charge of their children's education, and today she's making good on that promise, Haley posted to Twitter. Kids deserve more than the failed status quo. While Haley has not officially announced her 2024 candidacy, she did spend the week retweeting several pundit discussions from conservative <coughs> media outlets saying she would. The measure also received negative reviews nationally. Many of the critiques pointed to out-of-state special interest groups, particular interest in making sure the private school funding bill went through. American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weidgarten appeared on Fox Business denouncing the controversial law. Parents and families, no matter where they live, want safe, well-funded public schools, not schemes to funnel taxpayers' money to the wealthy few, she said. 
The governor of Iowa is risking real political damage by doing the bidding of former Trump Secretary of Education, prominent education privatization educate Betsy DeVos. It seems that the donors who wrote this bill support school choice, except if that choice is the one favored by most American parents, their neighborhood public school. This received a quick clapback from Reynolds. Randy Weingarten is wrong about this, just like she was wrong about locking our kids out of the classroom during the pandemic, leading to widespread learning loss and setting back our kids for decades, Reynolds said in a release. Education is not a zero-sum game, and shame on Weingarten for thinking that political outcomes are what matters here. Polls, economics, and political data analysis website 538 took Iowa's cue to list 14 states around the nation, both was full of Republican support, and which strikingly similar to legislation the Students First Act has been introduced and put in place in recent years. With the school voucher, school choice, education savings account matters settled for now, the legislature is in a time crunch to hit an annual 30-day deadline for deciding the purple funding it will give to the public school districts next year. Last week, Senate Majority Leader set a, quote, dummy bill to set the amount meant only that the decision was getting started. Senate Republicans have not discussed school funding for next year, he said, and released the bill currently filed. SSB 1081 is a procedural step to move the process forward in order to meet the 30-day deadline. We will meet next week on school funding and determine the position of our caucus on that time. Two measures with area roots and aimed at inserting language choices. Changes into Iowa code began moving in the Capitol last week. May Hinkin, Executive Director of Mental Health Disabilities Services of the East Central Iowa region, joined industry peers at the Capitol to support a bill that would replace the term mental health with brain health and state code. Hinkin said she was proud to rally for the effort credit she credited to Deb Butler, founder of Brain Health Now, based in Dubuque, much like 15 to 20 years ago when we changed language from mental retardation and mental health. Words matter, she said. We can validate it in state law and make sure that people understand that the brain is an organ, just like any other which needs health care. We are really making progress towards destigmatizing brain health issues. A House of Representatives bill with the changes advanced unanimously out of subcommittee was included. That included Iowa Reps Steve Bradley, R. Cascade, and Shannon Lundgren, RPS, the Senate Companion Bill, also advanced out of committee. Two other local lawmakers, Iowa Representatives Chuck Eisenhart, D. Dubuque, and Norlin Momsen, R. D. Witt, co-sponsored a bill to apply the term soil health to practices already in the Iowa Code that improve soil health. It comes as quite a surprise to me that the term is not part of Iowa whole Codes, Eisenhart said on the subcommittee meeting last week. So, it seemed that the term to be in code, it seemed time that the term be in code. So it reflects what is being done to talk about on the ground. The bill also opens a window for outside financing entities to contribute to soil health work, which raised some questions from stakeholders during the subcommittee. One of my frustrations here is that everybody comes to the Capitol wanting money, Momsen said. My goal was if anyone wants to offer to pay for it, if they want to open their checkbook, they should be allowed to and embraced. Wisconsin, Mark Lane loves libraries. Wisconsin Senator Howard Mark Lane R. Spring Green was given his own Libraries Transform posters in which prominent Wisconsin backers of public libraries are photographed holding favorable from the Wisconsin Library Association at the Capitol last week. Mark Lane held history of the Green Bay Packers in his poster. Looking at local sports, 
USHL Fighting Saints again gained confidence from a pair of comebacks. Story by Jim Leitner, THmedia.com. If you would have asked that Dubuque Fighting Saints last week about the possibility of a weekend split, they probably would have taken it. The split came in an unconventional fashion, but the Saints managed to two of a possible four standing points against USA's Hockey National Team Development Program moved up a spot to fifth place in the USHL's Eastern Conference, and they came away from it feeling pretty good. Dubuque never led during the weekend, but forced overtime both times, including a 4-3 loss to the UH-18 squad on Saturday and a 5-4 setback to the UH-17 team on Friday to earn Tunis bonus, bonus, two bonus standing points. Dubuque overcame two goal deficits in each game and potted an extra attacker goal in the final minutes against the UH-18 squad, which includes several first-round NHL draft prospects and has gone 10-1-0-2 against USHL SHL competition this season. The U18 smoked the Saints 8-2 in the last game before the holiday break. Major League Baseball News re-signs minor league deal with Milwaukee. Story by Jim Leitner, THmedia.com. Dateline Cascade, Iowa. Colin Reed went from pitching about as far away as home as possible to potentially a much more manageable commute for friends and family. The 32-year-old right-hander from Cascade, Iowa, on Friday night signed a free agent minor league contract with the Milwaukee Brewers organization after spending most of the past two seasons with the Fu. Kowalka SoftBank Hawks of Nippon Professional Baseball Organization season. Repitch pits the final two months of the 21 season in the Briars Brewers organization after leaving Japan to be closer to family, allowing following the premature birth of his daughter. Kowalka approved the temporary move and he returned to Japan last season to fulfill the final year of a two-year deal. The familiarity with whole Brewers organization definitely played a role in my signing with them, Marie said Sunday afternoon. I really enjoyed my time there and felt it was the perfect fit. Between the players, the coaches, and the front office staff, they're all really good, friendly people that you want to be around. Here's a letter to the editor from Carol Sigrin, 71st Street in Cascade, Iowa. With vouchers on the way, private schools still don't have the same rules. The Republican legislature in Iowa finally got it done. These lawmakers passed a voucher bill to benefit 42,000 private school students at the detriment of 480,000 public school students. They succeeded by changing the rules they set for themselves in 2011 when they stated all bills that appropriate funds or levy taxes shall be first be removed, referred to the Appropriation Committee and the Ways and Means Committee. But they exempted these requirements for the 2023 session on the Education Bill and were able to fast-track this measure. I guess fiscal responsibility and transparency are not important deals ideals for state house republicans anymore my prob but probably additionally this law does not require private schools to maintain public records for this money or complete an annual audit public schools must do both no accountability to taxpayers for over 300 million dollars of new money each year if you haven't done so already read the statement state auditor rob sand released recently as huge concerns but prob probably my biggest problem with this law is that private schools can still deny admission to any student they don't want and that does it for today's reading of the dubuque telegraph herald for tuesday the 31st of january 2023 i'm a reader bill petrosky you can access a recording of today's reading on our website iowa radio reading dot org at any time thank you for listening